Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of the Arms Boom and Leg Project live on this Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Glad to have you along for the ride. We're just before eight o'clock here broadcasting live from the beautiful area of Amherstburg, Ontario in the Little Heart Home Studios. My name is Arms Boom and Leg. Happy to have you along for the ride. If it's your first time here on the show, uh, we got a good one for you. The Arms Boom and Leg Project is a conversation, in-depth conversation. I like to say it's like Howard Stern meets... Uh, a little bit of Joe Rogan meets a little bit of live and local meets in just conversations about all sorts of different topics and things that are happening in our region with interesting people making a difference and having some great insight on a number of topics on the show. And it's a special one tonight because of a couple of reasons. One, my guest tonight, uh, great guy, and he's just uh, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to something I think a lot of us may be struggling with at this time of year and certainly in the last two years with COVID. Uh, and then just talking about that sort of elusive dragon, as I used to call it through my various uh, experiences in the world of work. It's uh, that workplace culture and what does that mean and and really putting people in positions to succeed. So we're going to dive into that in the next little bit. But uh, on the show, we have a number of guests that join us each and every week. And last week was no different on the program. If you missed out the latest edition of the Arms Women Like Project, we talked to my good buddy, Stephanie Lianga from Women's Enterprise Skills Training Windsor. Awesome lady. Great conversation. That conversation is up on Spotify and YouTube as we speak. Also, Sylvie Gunther and Maggie DeRoche from the Hiatus House will be joining us live here on the show next Friday, October 15th. The Hiatus House getting geared up to do some amazing fundraising here locally. And I can't wait to share with you what they've got planned over the next little bit. So uh, they'll be joining us next Friday here on the project. Also, a uh, quick reminder for folks who are sending us some fantastic photos. We do feature your photos every single day on our social media feeds. We're asking for local photographers to join the conversation, get your photos featured, and you can share your weather snapshots with me. We do the forecast locally for Windsor Essex seven days a week on our social media pages. You can tag me at arms boom and leg for more. Uh, really interested uh, to see those photos as we head into the season of fall as well. So my guest tonight uh, is, is, is an assistant professor of management at the Odette School of Business at the University of Windsor, and his research focuses on employee voice and interpersonal team dynamics, including team resilience and conflict. His mission is to help leaders create and sort of sustain highly effective teams. How do you do that? By building their team's resilient capabilities, uh, managing team conflict, which is huge, and motivating their team to speak up with higher quality ideas. Easier said than done, I'm sure. Basically, my guest saying, how can we collaborate and communicate more effectively? And a part of his research, he's worked with large and small companies and organizations to diagnose and improve their human capital challenges. Uh, his work has been featured in Forbes, Globe and Mail, and the CBC. Proud to welcome my friend, Kyle Brickman, to the project this evening. Kyle, always good to see you, sir. Welcome to the show. Great, thanks for having me. Okay, so let's get into this. How did you get started in this this concept and in and, and your academic career and, and, and where you are at now? And and I wanna I wanna dive into this because this is something I think so many people have questions about, about how this works out in their workplace lives. How did you get started? Um, you know, a lot of what I've done is coming from my own personal work experiences. So I mean I got my uh, PhD at Smith and 
before I did all my graduate studies, I worked for a few years and that's where I got a lot of different experiences. I worked for General Mills Canada and Mississauga, uh, awesome job, awesome company. Uh, not what I wanted to do at the end of the day. You know, I, I, I was there just thinking a lot more about, you know, why are people interacting this way? How am I motivated? We were going through a culture change and I was always curious about the impact all these decisions had on employees. And I said, well, I love that stuff. Let me go and study it. And so here I am. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's funny, right? I mean, you talk about sort of that, that corporate lens and so many of us are in the corporate world and the corporate environment about culture change and change management and, and, you know, getting to where sort of the culture needs to be. That's a tough nut to crack. (laughs) I mean, especially during a pandemic, that is a tough nut to crack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic's obviously had a huge impact on everybody's culture for better and worse. I think a lot of senses, it's been a lot of improvements, but it has a huge impact when it comes to how cohesive a culture can be. I mean, you're not seeing people as much. So you know, non-verbals, a lot of communication. I mean, imagine all these people and tons of people started a new job during this time and you're trying to figure out what the corporate culture is like of your environment. It's extremely difficult. Uh, let's get into that a little bit because I know you've done some extensive work and some studying on on the effects of, you know, how folks can sort of navigate these waters and, and sort of best practices as well. You know, is it a question, Kyle, of, you know, do businesses have the right feed in terms of the pulse of what's happening in their organizations with so much change happening in the last two years with COVID? Or is it the question of the right leaders are in place or is it a combination of two to make that happen? I mean, I think at this point, obviously, we've, we've come a long way. I think people do forget just how new everything was at the beginning. And so we've come a long way. It obviously will. You know, I'm an academic, so my classic answer to you know every question is going to be it depends. Because it depends on the company, it depends on the leader, it depends, this is what we do. We say it depends because it depends on the situation you're in. But I think you're definitely seeing people becoming more comfortable. Um, there's been a lot of benefits to, I don't want to say benefits, but benefits to being able to work from home. A lot of flexibility that people have had. The impact it's had on businesses, though, it really depends, I think, a lot on the size of the company and the kind of leadership style people are used to. I think if you're managing people, it's been extraordinarily hard. Um, but on the flip side, you've probably had a little more slack that you haven't had before. So again, I think a lot of people are, um, quite enjoying their work lives these days. Um, and, and so that, that's, there's something to be said for that. Why do often call, I mean, I see, I I was doing a lot of research before you came on the show and, 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 you know, certainly my strong opinions about work from home. Um, I, I, and I have them and, and I've said them many times. I mean, for certain industries, I mean, there's no way you can do it. But uh, there's certain industries where I think I have said many times for for folks, I actually tend I'm a type A personality. Right. So I have my home office literally two feet away is my man cave and I'll go down there and I'll kind of unplug from the day. But then if I got a project on the horizon, I will more than likely watch a half an hour of my show and then come on my computer and work for about two to three hours. But then I have that flexibility to spend some time with my son in the morning as opposed to making a commute for an hour, an hour and a half. Why do you think some some companies are 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 more insistent for getting back to status quo pre-pandemic versus some of the companies that you may see nowadays, Kyle, that are saying, you know what, we trust our employees and we're giving them that autonomy to kind of do their thing? Yeah, I think you're really on to what the problem is. And and I, I also did like you kind of talking about the type A because it, it, you know some people can be more self-motivated in, in working from home and so able to get their work done a little bit more easily where some people are certainly distracted, but from you know a company perspective, 
you know, it, I think some of the challenges that they're having is it's just a bit of a shift. It's an old school way of managing where you feel like you need to see people to know that they're getting the work done. You know, when you think about the metrics we have at work and how we evaluate people's performance, it's often, you know, if I see it, do you show up on time? Do you leave at the right time? Am I able to see you actually getting the work done? Then I can assume you are. And I think it's scary for a lot of leaders to lose that level of control, not being able to necessarily watch the work that they're expecting to have happen. And so it, it does require quite a bit of shift, trust in your employees. Um, but now we're also seeing lots of people leaving organizations. So if you don't create that environment and demonstrate that trust, you're not really going to have much of a, a workforce at the end of the day. So that's probably the shift that companies need to make the most. And it's, it is very difficult. It's hard. Uh, and like you said, some industries just, it just doesn't work very well. Um, but that speaks again to you know creating a really strong, resilient culture that doesn't matter where you're working from, you can still ensure that people are working pretty hard. Uh, so often, I've heard from business industry leaders and 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 folks sort of on that progressive front when it comes to running organizations and companies, Kyle, where they say, you know, we want to be seen as collaborative with our employees. We want to have that open dialogue back and forth. And, and very much so, you know, we, we, we do it by case by case basis, but when they were able to see, again, those metrics to see, okay, well, I'm giving my employees a better work-life quality balance. They're coming back into the office if it is a hybrid model or if it is a work from home model, or if they should do a, you know, a weekly check-in, they're happier, they're more engaged and productivity is going on a higher, uh, I guess, bell curve, uh, as opposed to saying, you know, dragging them into different meetings. By that, I mean, I'm not using personal experience. You know, I enjoy meetings, right? But I'm yeah. very much cognizant of having meetings to have some sort of clear objective out of the meeting. I cannot, and, and I know you've shared some fantastic content on LinkedIn with this. Yeah. Uh, you know, when meetings have nothing more than to sort of check boxes and it's sort of like an accountability fest, as opposed to saying clear, actionable goals and metrics to, to move away, uh, I think that just wears on people when you're just having meetings to have meetings. Yeah, they, we've got a meeting culture is, you know, what, what I've heard a lot of. And it's very true even before the pandemic, but exacerbated now that we've got this meetings culture where people in some industries um, are meetings packed pack throughout the day. I don't know how, you know, you could possibly be expected to get your work done. Um, you know, even before the pandemic, one of my favorite studies that I'd read was uh, with Microsoft and how they uh, saw that, you know, one group of employees were, were really kind of stressed out and, and not really happy with their work. And they're trying to figure out what it is. And it's a big company. They, they dig in and they see, you know, they have back to back to back to back to meetings. They've got no work-life balance because they never actually get a chance to get the work done until the meetings are over at, you know, five, six o'clock and they're staying late. And so we, you know, the meetings without any purpose definitely drives me nuts. Um, I don't know that people think about the amount of money you're wasting. Sometimes you've got a meeting of 20 people for an hour that's 20 man hours or you know 20 hours that you could have been doing something else um again it's kind of there's a lot of systems a lot of norms a lot of this stuff just kind of becomes embedded you know the way that organizations operate and so we've got this meeting set up and i guess it's how we're gonna you know we're gonna use it um even you know it's it's an it's an hour time so we're gonna find a way to fill an hour you know one of the suggestions i often have is can we reduce that? Can we get it down to 30 minutes even? Just just cutting it in half is a huge idea, uh, you know, a huge benefit, but it's making our meetings more effective. There's definitely a lot more research now on that, um, listening to some actually today. So it's something that we need to start to doing better at. 
And isn't a question, Kyle, do you think in a management perspective, if you are in that leadership lens to, and, and I've said this, I mean, I, I was fortunate to be in a management position when I was working retail many moons ago at Devonshire Mall back in 2002, 2003. I was able to run a store, which is no longer there. Best Buy came to town, put us out of business. But um, when I was running mm -hmm. the store, it was like I wanted to make sure that people felt empowered in the roles that they had. So then it was less stress for me. And they were able to make those decisions without fear of repercussion. Uh, and, and then use it as a learning experience. So it was a little bit less for me. And then you're empowering these people to feel like they're more invested in their job. Is that wrong? Is, 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 should we be doing more of that sort of um, heavy lifting in, in today's world in these corporations, empowering people to kind of make those decisions? Yeah, 100%. What you're describing is exactly the kind of stuff that I preach to organizations in creating a psychologically safe climate where people aren't afraid to make mistakes. They're not afraid to speak up when they've got an idea. And then they also have the autonomy to make those decisions. When you have things like that, you know, set up in your company, you're able to go hybrid. You're able to go remote because everyone's already started to make these decisions themselves. It actually lets you adapt pretty quickly because people, people know how to make decisions. They're been given that responsibility in the first place. So what you're describing to me is exactly what every company should have in a good time, but it's something that you need even more in a challenging time. You know, giving people the autonomy, uh, the flexibility, but but again, the the uh, the room to not be perfect, the room to to learn and grow in that space, uh, hundred percent. Yeah. If you're just joining us on the show, uh, we're, we're getting really into the weeds here, but I love it uh, about workplace culture and, and, and the status of work from home uh, with my guests this evening. Uh, we've got a couple of comments rolling in on the feeds. Uh, Richard comments saying, thanks for keeping the interesting guests on ABP. Hey, Richard, thank you. And, and thank you to all my guests, including uh, Kyle, for spending time with me. I know a lot of folks say, uh, Kyle and I were saying before we go live on the show, it's like, uh, you know, why do you do it so late? And it's like, Kyle's, Kyle's a father. I'm a father. Our kids are in bed. We're able to <laughs> put the kids to bed and then do the uh, the broadcast and dive into these topics as they come in. But culture change in an, or in an organization, does that happen overnight? How long does that take? And, and, and what are some of the bigger successes you've seen with, with companies who have undertaken that culture change? You know, it's, it's an easy thing to say. It's, it's extremely difficult to do, but at the same time, I think we sometimes focus on the wrong ways of doing that. I mean, culture changes organically, culture changes over time, culture changes when um, you got a new leader in place and they've got a different vision. Uh, you've got a lot of turnover in a company, you're going to see a culture change. The way I try to simplify it and, and, and you know, the way that I think it's easiest to, to think about how you actually change a culture, culture is just basically behaviors that get reinforced and rewarded over time. And so people start doing those sorts of things. You know, if, if a culture is one in which it's a, uh, you know, a stay late culture and everyone's, you know, grinding and competitive, it's because those are the sorts of behaviors people were rewarded for. And so that's what they did to me, you know, as simple as it could put it, it's you change the rewards that people, you change what you're incentivizing people to do, what you encourage them. And I'm not talking just financial, you know, rewards. I'm saying, as a leader, what you say that that's great. That's what I want to see. So things that you recognize people for, you start changing what you're recognizing and rewarding people for. They're start they're going to start doing something different, right? Their behaviors are going to change, and then the culture kind of falls suit. So it's it's not a simple directive, but I think we often think about um, you know we need to change this mission overall, and we have got to you know just kind of peel everything back. Um, but sometimes it really is just changing what we're rewarding, which is changing the behaviors we're going to do. And that's going to ultimately start to change the culture you see. When you're able to change that culture, 
how efficient is it to tie it to something like a strategic plan or even metrics or anything like that? Or is it so more the pe- the person connection, the, the, the person to person connection, getting on the floor, talking to folks one on one? Uh, you know, I think actually they should kind of go hand in hand when we talk about, you know, values that a company aspires by. And sometimes, and, and I was working with a company just a couple weeks ago where we're talking, you know, these are the values we have, but how much is that being informed from the people who work there? Or is that just what we say that we value? You know, if it's just the people who are at the top of the organization saying these are our values, um, if it's not something that that everybody's kind of bought in on, then it's it's just words. And, and I think we all we all know that. Um, so you want these not to be what we call a spouse. We want these to be actually enacted. We want the people who are on the ground floor. We want everybody involved in saying, this is actually what we believe in, you know, taking it to the virtual world, you know, trying to, and if I'm a team leader, um, cause I think of culture often just at a, at a micro level of, of a team, a team culture, right? and, and, and if you're in a big organization, you're going to have lots of different cultures and different teams and you've got your overall an organizational culture. You know, it's what, what do I want to value within this team and how can then everybody else inform the things that we start to do. So again, if we're in this virtual world, how do I know if I get an email right now, am I supposed to look at it and am I supposed to respond right away? Um, is that the most important work that I'm supposed to do? If I want to set up a meeting tomorrow, how do we go about doing that? Am I supposed to respond directly to people? Am I supposed to first, you know, we're in a big meeting and I've got an idea. Do I speak up now or do I go offline? Like these are norms that we get reinforced in our culture. This is really what the culture is at the end of the day. As far as I'm concerned, it's really a lot of those norms that we create of how we actually want to interact with each other. And if it was a cult- culture I was creating, I would want to encourage people to feel both safe, safe, psychologically safe, but also willing to have conflict and willing to have debates. But that's that's my personality. And in fact, that's really what culture is. It's reflecting the personality of the leader. That's what I believe in. Um, but again, in that virtual world, if we're not all on the same page and not viewing the culture the same, it's going to be really difficult to get on the same page. Well, did you just... You know, Steve Jobs once said, uh, and I believe I'm going to attribute it to Steve Jobs, that, you know, I pay people because of their talent and skill, so I don't have to fill that particular talent and skill. Does that apply to a corporate environment in terms of, uh, you know, having a hands-off, not a hands-off approach, but, you know, I'm paying somebody X amount to do this. I, I, I expect them to do what they do and do it well. Or is it uh, more of, like you said, taking that talent or skill and conforming it into what is expected sort of sort of that culture or, or, or that leadership vision that is, that is in place. Right. I saw a metaphor the day before, and there's all these different anecdotes and metaphors of leadership, but there's one that I definitely like a lot, which is a picture of a leader with their team kind of huddled around them and them holding an umbrella um, over top them, preventing anything from kind of getting in the way of their team. And I love that because, because that really is what the leader's job is. It is exactly that. I mean, you're hiring people if you're a leader or you, they were hired to get the job done. It's not your job. And this is where we we're kind of talking about you know, micromanaging. Your job is not to do their work for them. And that's going to drive you nuts. That's going to drive them nuts. And it's not helping anybody in the long term because they're not learning how to actually do the work that you're expecting them for. You know, the leader's job is to protect their team from outside, preserving those team meetings, making sure they're not having unnecessary meetings, make sure they have the right resources they need, coaching, you know, building them up, but also knowing when to give them a little bit more harsh criticism, guiding them, mentor them. You know, these are really the things that we're supposed to be doing as a leader. And, and, you know, we get really busy. We got our own pressures from people above us and we, we, we do lose sight of that. And so, so I think that's a quote that 
I, I resonates with me. And I don't know all of Steve Jobs' leadership style would. Um, sure. Something I actually talk about in my my classes on leadership. But um, you know, from for that angle, absolutely. I, I don't know about how we uh, go about treating people, uh, maybe a little bit differently, but but absolutely bang on with that. Kyle Brickman is my guest. Episode 30 here on the Arms Boomer Like Project. If you're listening to us in the rebroadcast on YouTube or Spotify, we're happy to have you along for the show. Uh, Kyle is uh, diving into the world of, you know, cultural leadership, uh, workplace culture, uh, you know, progressive workplaces. We're, we're diving into a lot here on the program this evening. I'm happy to have him on the program as well. But, you know, I wanted to talk about, you know, taking a look at, um, you know, having that that faith. And, and, and certainly I love the word coaching. You know, I've said many times, um, you know, I'll, I'll go back into some stages in my career, particularly in terms of even broadcast, um, you know, and, and, and having the right coach in your corner um, to kind of guide you along the way. I would think that that skill, in my opinion, is worth its weight in gold, because I think, I think there's, you know, I, I saw that that sort of Facebook meme that goes around, right, where like the boss is sitting behind the desk and he's cracking the whip and people are pulling the desk where versus, say, the leader is in front of the people saying we can do this together as a team. And they're all hauling the desk together. So going back to some of my experience, it's like when you're able to have somebody who can kind of inspire and, and kind of, I think, coach folks, I mean, and then I've heard I've honestly heard this in my career, too, Kyle, uh, in the flip side. Well, I mean, there's no point because they're just going to leave and go somewhere else to me that was like are you kidding like is that not the whole job of a leader is to not kind of raise people and go to that particular avenue and and grow people so they succeed yeah exactly i know i I feel the same way when i hear things i've heard the same things also and i shake my head a little bit because like that is your goal you know where they're going to go ultimately you know i I know the success is something you should be celebrating too you know, I said with my days at General Mills, I was lucky I had some amazing leaders. And, and when I moved on, it you know, couldn't be more encouraging and, and excited for me and so many amazing things that I've learned and certainly try to pass it on um, elsewhere. Anybody else that I'm coaching or, or, or in charge with, um, I actually almost start with the premise because, uh, you know, I work with lots of different students saying, you don't have to keep working with me. If I want to, I want to help you. But yeah, this is this relationship. It's, it's, it's me really there to help you. And you know, one of the types of leadership styles that's out there, and there's lots of different kinds, is, is described as servant leadership. And that's kind of what we're describing here, where you're you really look at yourself as there to help the people that you're tasked with leading, uh, guiding them, right? We said mentoring, helping them see uh, blind spots, helping them with their goals. Um, it's for every reason why anybody needs a coach. Uh, you know, look at professional athletes at the highest level of their games, they're not doing that by themselves. They're having somebody there to coach them and help them realize, you know, what are their shortcomings? When do they need a, you know, a pep talk? When do they need something to, to really motivate by a long-term goal? Um, so it is kind of disappointing when you hear something like that from a leader, because also you never know when they're going to come back in your life and, and what they're going to say to other people who are going to encourage you to come back. So um, yeah, I, I, that would, I would feel the same way, a little disappointed when you hear that kind of stuff. When you look at, the great resignation, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're coining this term now because I, I mean, I think we're seeing that and that's a whole other show to talk about the supply chain issues that are happening and, and folks who uh, are not going back to their jobs or maybe finding better jobs with a better work-life balance or finding more of a livable wage in these particular roles. You take a look at, you know, how our practices as a society are to sort of onboard people and say some of the turnaround time that happens in the onboarding process where, 
Um, you know, I read something the other day where it was a substantial amount of money for somebody to come into a particular position, last for about six months to a year, and then leave for the company because it's just they're back to square one again. What do you what do you think we're not getting right as as organizations, and and, and what are we not getting right as maybe people applying to these particular positions to say is this a fit for me or is this not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know what? There's lots of reasons why people are going to come to 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 get hired onto a job and leave, and actually, they're not always necessarily the same things. Uh, classic example to me is uh, developmental opportunities. You know, people don't look for jobs necessarily because they see their chances of uh, moving up the corporate ladder. And, and there's actually quite a bit of research on this. The Society of Human Resource Management, for example, has shown where they've done some surveys where advancement opportunities is really kind of high up on the list of why people leave a company and one of the lowest reasons why somebody actually wants to join a company. So it's kind of, it is complex, of course, thinking, you know, why am I actually going to come here? Why am I going to, you know, what's causing me to leave? Um, you know, salary compensation benefits the people you work with are, are often pretty high on those lists is what's keeping somebody versus leaving. And what we're seeing right now is, is pretty unprecedented. Why is it happening? I think in part, because you, like we've already kind of talked about, you got some of these companies who are being very, responsive, who, who are being a little bit more innovative and some that are kind of locked in, uh, pushing people out the door that way. I, that's that's kind of partly what I'm seeing, uh, wondering about, um, you know, it is very industry specific too. Um, so I don't know how long we're going to, I don't know if this is just a, 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 a moment in time or something we're actually going to see a little bit more people realizing that, well, actually employees, we are the ones who have power and, and that's kind of been flipped for a while where organizations had a lot more power. And now it's like, well, no, I have the power to choose where I want to work, how I want to work. I like my work-life balance. And, and if you can't give that to me, I'm going to go find somebody who will. It just amazes to me, Kyle. And, and I've said this many times, right, to, to friends of mine and even my wife. It's like, you know, you, you need to be a whole person all the way around, right? And especially if you have kids and you have young kids, you want to be there for your kids. You want to make sure that you're going to work. Cause I think we all go to work and we all do jobs because we keep the lights on. We're able to put food on the table. But at the end of the day, if you're too tired to do that or you're too emotionally tapped out, or again, the notifications on your phone don't stop, or you choose to, to look at those notifications on your phone, it erodes at your quality of life. And I think if the pandemic has taught anybody anything positive in that sense, from a worker standpoint is to say, what am I doing all this for? Right. Like, like, why am I why am I killing myself to do this? Is there a better way I can do this and still have my I hate to say it, but have my cake and eat it, too. But it shouldn't be that because I think we all have families or we're in particular positions where we're able to um, really connect with what mean what's meaningful to us. And and to have that balance, I think, is so key. I know I, I often heard from people saying work life balance is those. I mean, it's, I guess it's maybe just getting out of that traditional mindset, say, hey, nine to five, if it's happening, it's not necessarily nine to five anymore. It might be eight till two and then seven till 12. Or, you know, if you've got a big project and then the next day, maybe you're doing three or four hours or, you know, as long as I guess those metrics are getting done. But why I just don't understand, like why some companies are so insistent on going back to the old way. It's like it's almost like Netflix, right, versus Blockbuster. <laughs> they're at, we're yeah. at that paradigm ship, uh, sh- shift on whether or not, you know, you're returning tapes to the store, you're just going to download the app and then you've got all those selections. It's like, you know, what's it going to take, take us into the next, you know, 10 to 15 years with. Yeah. You know, it's a great analogy because I think what gets lost a lot of what just happened this last year is we've got technology now that we've never had before that enables us to work from home better than we've ever had before. And it's getting better and better collaboration tools, communication tools that allow you to, 
collaborate way more effectively than you ever could have possibly done that before virtually. So it's actually, it, it's kind of, it was kind of a perfect storm in that sense that we were kind of forced to work from home and hey, guess what? We have technologies. I mean, I'm not ta just talking about Zoom, but you know, Slacks, uh, a lot of technologies. I'll, I'll use, uh, you know, project management tools, whiteboarding tools, sharing our screens with people that you couldn't have done this a while ago that enables you to collaborate way more effectively virtually than you ever could have before. Um, you know, as far as having your cake and eating it too, that's the hybrid work, work model. And that's the model I, I, rec I, I recommend. I think it's a great model to go with right now, not especially knowing, you know, what the future will hold, but it gives you, it does give you the cake and eat it too. Now hybrid can mean a lot of different things. You know, you were just talking, for example, about how, uh, you know, some people will want to work at random hours. And I don't know, that definitely will work for all hybrid companies. Um, you know, one thing I talk a lot about and, and something I really emphasize when people think about going hybrid is you can't just say, come in whenever you want. It has to be structured hybrid is kind of the, the, the word I would use. And that is, um, you know, if you really want employees in a couple days a week and say the days that they're supposed to come in, because the whole point in doing that, as far as I'm concerned, is to collaborate. The reason to get people in the office is that they can see each other collaborate, build up that trust, build up that cohesion, ask those questions that they're not asking now, feel again that sense of community, get back aligned on those shared goals, have those meetings that are more effective in person. And then you can still have your work-life balance. You know, you don't have to come to the office those couple of days. You can spend a little bit more extra at home. And so that is a model that makes a lot of sense to me right now. Now the world's changing, but right now that's the model I would be going with. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see more of that as, as we go. And I think, again, that's reflective in, quote unquote, the great resignation, too. It's like, you know, people are realizing that they can put in more time and, you know, um, they're able to enjoy life's moments minus the commute, too. I mean, I remember the early days of the pandemic when, you know, everything was happening back in March 2020. I mean, you could fire a cannon down the Easy Road Expressway. There was nobody on the road. Uh, I mean, a little, a little different now, right? I think, you know, not to say people aren't you know, I guess maybe a little bit more lackadaisical when it comes to COVID. But I think generally speaking, you know, there's a little bit more commuting time on the roads. But for those, I, I was talking to a gentleman in my neighborhood who's an accountant um, actually down the road from us. And he was saying that he's getting more work done, just working from home, generally speaking, but having a harder time sort of connecting with some of the juniors on his team um, because they're, they need a little bit more structuring. So they're going to a certain hybrid model where they can do a touch point um, at the location uh, once or twice uh, a month for bigger projects that are coming through the pipe when they're doing some auditing. So it's interesting to see that, you know, and, and it's something else I wanted to get your opinion on, Kyle. You know, often they'll see uh, different organizations uh, in the media saying how how they're having those staffing issues and, and how uh, they can't keep people in and they're having turnover time and they can't hire anybody. Is it a question, in your opinion, Kyle, of the brittleness of the organization in the sense of, uh, you know, maybe not having the right resources or not having the, the funding or, or the compensation models to keep people engaged? Or is it a question of the pandemic being the pandemic? Or is it something more to say that these issues are happening from an organizational standpoint? You know, when I say the company's brittle is the fact that you know, I, I heard somebody say once, you know, a good company, sometimes you have to keep, quote unquote, the fat on. So when times are hard, you have some cushioning <laughs> and, and, and people are more apt to feel like they're more valued and, and they're able to go versus if they cut, strip, strip, strip away. When you get rocked by something, it's easier to break because there's not a lot of padding there. 
Yeah, yeah, arms is exactly what, uh, you know, what I do a lot of the research on is, is this resilience. How do you develop a resilient capacity as a team, as an organization that when you get hit with something like this, you're able to withstand it. And some of that is having that extra, that extra load, you know, not, not kind of whittling down all your resources so that you're not able to adjust. Uh, you know, companies that were able to successfully improvise during the pandemic, some have flourished. A lot of companies have done better now than they were doing well before. And obviously, we've got a lot of companies who are who are not doing very well. And, and, and it was just kind of a bad luck of the draw of the type of industry you're in. You know, I, I don't I don't uh, I don't think I've got an answer. Um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. If what the question you're asking is, is, you know, why is it that people believing is the, is the question I still don't have an answer for. I was talking about this with a friend of mine on LinkedIn actually the other day. Actually, wrote an article also on on the Great Resignation, and it, and I, I I'm I kept asking the question because I don't I don't I don't get it either. It's something that is surprising to me, um, so that kind of suggests to me that there's something unique going on right now with the pandemic because I don't think organizations are necessarily doing something that different right now. Um, but I, I you know that's one that I'm I'm also wondering about to be really honest with you. Yeah, it's funny from a business standpoint, right? And and it's different when you work in the public sector versus profit sector, right? Like I always compare my time at the CBC versus uh, broadcast private media, right? Where we had to have advertisers to pay the bills. And I, I often say that, you know, if you're able to take a look at who is able to kind of get into the mindset of how do we retain and recruit the best talent during uh a global changing event or, or, or like I said, something rocking the boat for like, like COVID, right? So now you, it, it's sort of like, you know, you go back to the real, buy, like a real estate buyer sellers market, right? Now it's like you had said, the employees have the decision on where they want to go. So I would think a forward thinking company is what I'm trying to say, is mm-hmm. going to be able to take a look at all the talent out there and maybe make their offers, I would hope, a little bit more attractive to retain and recruit the best talent to position them better into the future, uh, knowing that maybe there is certain things that they can offer individuals, um, compensation-wise and otherwise, to get them on the team and keep them on their team, because now there is a little bit more of a selection to where you want to go. Yeah, no, exactly. So again, it's going to come from a company-company basis. If you're struggling as a company to keep the people, I mean, you know, retention is is what we should be prioritizing more than anything, uh, just because the cost of losing employees is, is really expensive. It's something we don't necessarily always think about. Um, it begs you to consider what's going on and actually reflect and start making some changes. I think some people will, will try to put the blame off somebody else. This is kind of what I was speaking to when it comes to improvisation is, is adapting, um, recognizing there's something going on. Okay, we're losing more people than we have before. So you need to be monitoring what's going on in your workforce and, and, and saying it's, it's an us thing. And that can be hard to, to realize that it's, it's, okay, maybe there's something unique to us. Why is this happening? Um, what can we do then to be more attractive or to also keep people retained? And I mean, questions like that can be answered by going to your employees. Uh, we do know that, that, that um, you know, uh, people leaving a company quitting can be a little contagious even, that once it kind of starts, it, it snowballs. People start seeing other people leaving. You're like, whoa, you know, they, they, must, they must know that there's something wrong because if these five people are leaving, it does start to snowball out of control. And so that might have a little bit to do with what we're seeing now. Um, but yeah, if, if I was a company, I would try to say, well, what's going, what's going wrong? What could I be doing differently? And, and compensation is the lever we always pull, but it's one of the more useless ones because we know people want way more than just money. What, 
money doesn't really separate too many jobs and companies. You know, most of the ones in, in your what you do is going to be relatively similar. Um, so it's things like the work-life balance we've talked about. Uh, what are your advancement opportunities? Uh, the type of people that are you working there, the projects you're doing. And, you know, there's lots of other ways to make your place attractive, highlighting your culture, fit, making sure that your postings are everywhere. And so there's lots of things that you could be doing. I would look first inwards and understand why are people leaving. Uh, exit interviews, things like that can give you a lot of information about what's actually happening in your own company. Uh, and, 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 and pizza parties. Can we talk about pizza parties? <laughs> like, like pizza, party pizza parties? parties? Yeah. Throw pizza. Like what is your take? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. like okay, 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 let's Absolutely. talk about that. What's your take on the whole, and I've seen, like I've said many times on the show before with my guests, like my wife and I are on TikTok. We, we don't post any TikTok videos. I'm on it. I find it very entertaining. Uh, but I love to see a lot of um, HR folks on there, uh, which I don't, I mean, I don't know if they should be on there, but they're on there. Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, some of the, you know, some of the folks like who, who do what you do, uh, you know, kind of doing these informative TikToks and they, and they say, you know, oh, you know, we're, we have this mass, people are leaving left and right, or, you know, this employee satisfaction's at like 32%. I know, let's give them a pizza party, right? And I laugh at that stuff because it's like, I mean, pizza, they've said many times, a big fan of the office, uh, yeah. you know, you know, Michael Scott once said, pizza is the great equalizer. But at the same <laughs> token, you yeah. know, it's like, can you be real with your employees and say, okay, Maybe if it's not in the but like what else can they do? Like why is pizza such a mindset or 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 you know different gifts, small tokens of appreciation? Is it you know some people might say it's you know it's it's disingenuous, but other people are like right into it. Like what what's your take on that? Well, I mean, my first take is everything Michael Scott says is gold. So I mean, it's true. Pizza <laughs> is a great equalizer. Um, you know, but it's it's funny. You know, it, people can see through it, obviously. Uh, when they're just doing it because they realize people are leaving. You know, it's one of those things that we've really lost. It, it's so complex. I mean, um, you know, we've got this this model right now where people aren't seeing their colleagues as much. So if, if you're if you're home, and, and again, I'm hearing things from different companies, different places, I find it all pretty fascinating where you've got some companies who are saying we're going completely remote, which would be super attractive to some, and others are like, wait, what do you mean you're going completely remote? I like being in an office. I like socializing with people. So, like, you're, you're robbing me of that. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm pro, I'm pro any pizza party and pro pro things that get people together and communicate. And we're all naturally social beings. I mean, the workplace is our escape for being social and, you know, feeling like we're belonging and feeling attached to a community. And, and for a lot of us, it's gone right now. And so it's kind of easy to look at our jobs as lacking that interpersonal attachment you know, if we could, it'd be great to have more uh, get-togethers, but even virtual get-togethers. When we was going through the pandemic, that was something I, I saw a lot of, and I loved it, and I encouraged more of it. One of the things that, that was the hardest right now still is that we don't have enough time with our colleagues. Um, you know, whether it's games night, I saw people doing trivia nights, it's virtual escape rooms, you know, anything in which you can just be a, you know, be a person, not a worker, and socialize with people it's, it's great for building morale. Um, so it's not a, it's, it can feel like it's like a, you know, whatever, give them a pizza party and then they're going to stay longer. I think for a lot of people it does matter, but you know, we're trying to solve a situation that is so specific to each individual. Sure. Um, so from a company lens, it's, you know, when you look at it, the industry, it's like, yeah, something's going on. But, but if you're, if you're, you know, if you've got a company of like you know, 30 people, you just got to really focus on what's going on internally and get a pulse 
and make sure that you haven't thrown aside, um, you know, still trying to do those behaviors and make sure everyone feels appreciated. Again, compensation is the one that we come back to, but what most people want is to feel appreciated. Money is one way you show somebody you're appreciated. Check it in and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your family? That's a, that's a pretty powerful one and it's free. Um, pizza parties, uh, um, uh, any gifts, recognition of different sorts. People just want to know that they're cared for. If they're cared for, they're going to stay. Like people, people want to be where they're cared for. I, I think that's great insight too, and I think that that is a testament to a good leadership team, and 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 certainly the good outreach that happens too, right, uh, from your employee base to have those. Because I find, <clears throat> in my experience, when you have that sort of connection with with folks that you work with across different departments, it's you know when you, the walls come down a bit, um, you know, and they yeah. start to talk to you about you know some of the things that are happening, or um, and you get to see I think a, a, a wide spectrum of um, you know, I'll throw it out there. The Debbie Downers, the ones that, you know, you I always say you give them a solid gold brick and five weeks vacation and they're still going to be miserable versus the ones that are, you know, they're over the moon uh, because they, you know, you provided something. But it, it, I, I think when you're able to connect with folks like that one on one, I mean, it's a testament of, you know, having a good pulse, like you said, of what's happening in the organization as well. You know, the million dollar question for you and, and with your your wide experience with research and and, and working with companies and organizations, you know, and, and maybe there's not a direct answer on this, right? Um, you know, it's a kind of the hockey team answer on this one, but you know, I'm gonna throw yeah. it at you, is the, um, you know, what makes a good leader? What makes a tried and true leader? I, I always say that, you know, some of the bosses I've, I've worked with, I, I used to work with one lady at um, CKLW way back when, uh, probably 2005, she was our marketing director. She's now up in Toronto running some stuff for Bell, but. She was a Tom Hanks, Saver Private Ryan, I say, leader in the sense that, you know, we could be going over Helen back, going into the breach. And I'd be like, okay, Sarge, let's go. Without without a second, without I wouldn't even think about it. But whatever you need, like Heidi, whatever you need, I will do it. I will do it for you. Easy. Um, what makes it to that leadership point for folks so you have people going into the breach for you? Yeah. I mean, it's first to pause and say, like, it's hard to be a good leader and you're not always going to be a good leader. It, it takes a lot of little sorts of behaviors, I think, to build up to becoming a really great leader. So it's not out of our reach either. Um, you know, what you just said a second ago is one of those elements of what it takes to be a great leader. And that's being really individualized with each one of your employees. So not treat, you know, people say, what's the best leadership style? And the answer is, who are you leading? Because the style at which you want to lead somebody depends on the person that you're tasked with leading. You're not going to use the same approach with everybody, you have to understand, well, what's their personality? What motivates them, right? What gets them ticked? What do they really dislike? And so you need to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship. So I'd say one thing a great leader does is they have that really individualized relationship with each person, treats them each differently, gets to know them. One of my little tidbits of advice I tell leaders to do, and again, maybe it seems disingenuous, but to me, it, it isn't, is, you know, think about big milestones in, in, in uh, your employees' lives, um, birthdays or their kids' birthdays and stuff. And Put in your calendar when when it comes, wish them happy birthday. Ask them about their kids' birthdays. Little things like that, what you're doing is you're creating a space in your head that says, you, know, you matter to me enough that I'm willing and, and I want to remember these things. And I want you to know that you care about me. Um, you know, so that's one ele element is that individualized relationship. You know, the other one that really makes a great leader, and this is all informed from research, is one that's really great at... Um, pushing their followers to challenge their own assumptions. We talked before about psychological safety. I mean, a really great leader creates this safe space where people aren't afraid 
you know, if I mess up, he's going to get on my case. She's going to get my case. I'm, I'm never going to hear the end of it. I'm never going to get these other responsibilities. I will advance in the company. Nobody's ever going to trust me. I'm going to then keep it safe in the background. And so one thing leaders really need to try to do is creating that psychologically safe space, allowing people to make mistakes, allowing people to speak up and have disagreements. And, and so it's to really push them to think outside the box and feel safe actually challenging them too is another thing that's really important. You know, why are people leaving? Because they don't get to have a say in their company. They don't, again, people, people want to matter. They want to belong. They want meaning in their work. They want to show up. And this is more different than ever. They want to feel like what they're doing matters. And it's really hard to feel that way if, if you're not able to have a voice or when you do, you're just shot down. And probably the last thing I'd say that, you know, a really great leader does, and we kind of talked about it along the lines of coaching, um, setting goals for people, challenging goals, goals in the moment, but big picture goals, because it's hard for people to lose track of, you know, what am I doing really well? What am I not doing well? And a lot of people want that development. They need that development. One thing I saw a lot of in the pandemic is, you know, we were talking, but we were just talking about what we were doing. Feedback, coaching really kind of went to the wayside. And that's another big thing that that's what people want. They want that feedback. Uh, they want to know what they're doing well, what they can improve upon. They, they want the check-ins. And so if we're not doing that on a somewhat regular basis, uh, we're doing them a disservice and then well, also ourselves because then they're not going to improve. Different type of leadership style though too, right, Kyle? If you're, I mean, you look at the last almost two years now, geez, uh, since COVID. I mean, managing and, and leading through normal times versus, uh, I mean, geez, you think back even to March 2020, crisis leadership. Uh, that's it's yeah. a different beast too, right? And that's certainly factored into, I think, a lot of managers and, and leaders to say, yeah, I may, I may have gotten more gray hair, but, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to, again, that goes ties into that whole resilience piece as well. Yeah, I mean, we one thing we know for sure about a crisis is that it amplifies how leaders have an effect on their people. During a crisis, we look to our leaders more than ever, and we saw that with our country as well when we came together, you know, March 2020. I was glued to the TV for, for, for that month. I'm, you know, I kind of stepped away after that. Um, but you're looking for guidance when you're, when there's so much uncertainty, that's when leaders really shine. Um, but it does switch and shift. You know, we're talking about leading a company versus leading individuals, leading a team. It requires a little bit different kinds of mind shifts. Again, it's, it's a really difficult job. I mean, most people uh, are promoted into leadership roles, not because they want to lead people because they're really good at their job. And so um, it's like, well, you're really good at your job. How about you try leading people? And it's like, well, I don't actually want to do that. I'm not really good at that. A lot of people don't get trained on how to be a good leader. They don't get feedback both ways. And so leaders are leaders are the ones that kind of get a lot of the blame. Uh, they get the credit when it's there, but they got a lot of the blame too. And, and, and probably unfairly. Um, I feel like that's something we've been, you know, going on the podcast and, and, and having some critiques, but it's a really difficult job. And so just the same as they need that latitude to make the mistakes and learn and grow in their, in their leadership roles. Yeah. I think that's a big thing too. And I think, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, leaders aren't always going to get it right. I think, uh, you know, we've seen that from a politician standpoint for, for through this whole pandemic. I also think that, you know, no excuses aside, it's been, I mean, the term has been beaten to death, but unprecedented times. And it's, I think a lot of us are in fight or flight mode, survival mode too. So I think, you know, hopefully you would think that a lot of these folks, especially from a political lens are doing things, I would hope out of the goodness of their heart and in the best interests of the general public too. But you know, it's an opportunity to, you know, support each other and rely on each other. And I think, you know, you and I were saying this before the show is, uh, you know, and I've said this many times on my program, it's, you know, the world is in a different place right now. I think that there is, you know, this underlying 
not all the time, but a little bit of an anger that's there. And I think a lot of the accusatory um, actions happen where, you know, I think a lot, the art of reaching across the aisle and trying to understand somebody else's viewpoint is an art that, and, and a skill that is quickly being uh, fossilized like the dinosaurs, because we're so easy to grab a pitchfork and, and burn somebody at the stake uh, virtually versus, you know, let's maybe understand where somebody's coming from and let's try to say, okay, well, maybe this may not be an equitable solution. Let's try to find something that is and work together. And I think that's going to be, I, in my opinion, Kyle, that's going to be a crucial, crucial need in the next four to five years, not even locally, but just really across the world too. It's just saying, okay, we all know we're in the, we're in the, the lack of a better term, the shitter for this, uh, you know, like how do we, how do we get out of this collectively? you know, and, and work together to make it right. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot that, you know, I'm shaking my head cause it's, it's, I, you know, that drive, that's such a drive me nuts with all the finger pointing and, and, and polarization that, that you do see happening. Uh, the lack of openness to changing your opinion. And it drives me, uh, you know, that drives me really nuts probably as an academic recognizing that that's what we do. That's what life is. It's, it's, you get a new source of information and you're supposed to change your opinion. And actually some really great research is coming out showing us that we actually, Look at people as being more competent when they do change their opinion, uh, maybe as having less power and authority, but but we look at them as more competent and rightfully so. So I, that is a skill I think we need to maybe start developing a little bit more in society, in people, is that adaptability, the openness to say, oh, that's a new piece of information that I wasn't aware of. My perspective will change, and that's not a sign of weakness. Yeah. Um, same thing with leadership. Yeah. And it's, a, I think the compassion piece is so crucial too. I mean, that, that ties into the perspective change. Yeah. Like, you know, at some point, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and we were talking about sort of the back and forth that goes on sometimes in the political lens and, you know, you should be doing this and you're not doing this. Yeah. And though, you know, the, what about isms, right? Like somebody will come at you and say, well, what about this person? And what about that person? And they should be doing that. And, you know, you'd made a mention, you know, like, much like you, I, I was glued to my news uh, and I still very much was through the majority of the pandemic. But then I made a conscious decision at the beginning of 2021 to shut it off. And, you know, I, I, I still get the updates on what's happening locally, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that I know from a lens that sometimes we're, you know, hardwired for the negative. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, Kyle, I wanted to start the show is to have that positive lens but also have those crucial conversations when needed to say that there's some other content out there for folks to absorb so i may not get all the clicks and the likes and i'm okay with that but i'll die on a hill like i said to at least open up people's eyes and they'll change their opinions on a particular topic person or even just educate them a little bit more on something they may not have known but that compassion piece i just think it's just i mean not to say that it's not out there because god when it's out there i mean you know it because you can see these folks doing you know, things for other other people here locally, that's just absolutely incredible. And it makes me think, okay, well, the son, my son that I'm raising is, you know, there's still hope for the world, right? Like there's still yeah. good people in this world. And it's, it's you yeah. kind of have to keep the faith in that sense, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. We're, we're totally eye to eye. And yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of it's lack of empathy. I mean, for some reason, we can't seem to put ourselves in other people's shoes and try to wonder what's going on with them and why are they making these decisions we we evaluate them with our own narratives and they're usually pretty negative and, and accusatory but it's like well you wouldn't do that if it was you you know a classic example I, I i give with my students too is is you know you see somebody speeding down the highway and you say and that person's a crazy person 
Um, but suddenly you're really late to a meeting or there's an emergency and you're speeding down the highway. And it's like, well, now I've got a reason to. And it's the same sorts of things that we're seeing elsewhere where we, we just make judgments about other people without really understanding what they're doing and why they've done it. And um, yeah, I hope I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm a positive person and anybody knows me and I, and I hope we can shift that narrative to, to try to be a little bit more open and, 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 and empathetic to other people. Yeah, with your students and 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 what you teach at the U and, and you interact, how do you feel about the next generation of leaders and 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 uh, you know business professionals that are coming through? Do you feel confident that they they're going to be starting on a different foot, or uh, are we in good shape for down the road when you and I are uh, old and gray and retired, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I can only say good things about my students at the U, but uh, you know, they they really. Uh, impressed me a lot. I mean, I know this university in particular really impressed me a lot with their work ethic, uh, how much they juggle and still really put a lot of, you know, a ton of their passion in. Uh, from a leadership perspective, I see I see a lot of wants for making a difference, more than I think I've seen before. Uh, and, and this is something I've heard anecdotally, but I, I see it myself too, where, where students don't want to just get a job and make money and move on. I, as a lot of them, I, I see wanting to actually do something that really matters and make a difference. Um, you know, just like when, when we were students, you know, still lost about what I'm actually going to end up doing, but making sure that it's meaningful, actually having an impact is something that I see a lot of. And, and also having lots of, lots of struggles like all of us too, um, you know, with lots of uh, challenges, um, balancing work with, with the pandemic, uh, stresses that exist, but I've got, I've got pretty full faith in that. What's one piece of advice, Kyle, before we wrap it up this evening that you can give to folks who are watching the live stream or watching the rebroadcast after the fact about, um, if they're in a position uh, where they think that they need to make a pivot or do something a little bit more in line with their core values. You know what? Um, I'd have to, I'd have to give credit out to one of my, one of my good friends and mentor that uh, was helping coach me when I decided to go back to, to, um, to graduate school. When I was working at General Mills, he, he uh, worked with Simon Sinek and started with why. So Stephen Shetletsky gave me this, this great advice, a former classmate of mine. And, and, Simon's book really was really helpful for me, at least. So that was a, that's an advice I would also give to other people, which is trying to connect with what your purpose, what you want it to be, too. I, I think a lot of us think that you know, everybody wants a similar path or similar wants in the day, money or family or whatever it might be. But when it comes to your actual job, and we actually just did that with my class this week, uh, looking at you know, 50, 60 attributes that would make you really happy about your job, whether it's the autonomy, the compensation, the uh, benefits, who you're working with, uh, the, um, the challenge that you get, the variety of the kinds of works and saying, well, what do you really want? What really will matter to you? And, and, and it starts with reflection and really trying to identify. So my, my biggest advice for somebody kind of starting out there is just start actively being reflective, thinking a little bit more about what is it you really want? What is it in the past and that maybe has made you happy that you've really felt maybe your flow? Um, which is, which is a, an experience in which you're just completely immersed in what you're doing, that, that time just seems to fly by. And if you can find that, go get it, because a lot of people don't, and life is too short to be doing something that you don't love. Love it. I, and I, I, it's funny how life brings us into those particular realms to get doing, to do the things that we love to do. And, you know, we were saying before the show, I mean, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this program is because I love, I love having these conversations. I love the broadcast lens and I love having that, uh, that insight from guests like yourself. So uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, you know, I, I, I am in awe of the work you do, you do and you continue to do. And uh, I, I, I highly encourage anybody who has LinkedIn 
Uh, obviously, check out Kyle's website too. Lots of information on there. But uh, check, follow him on LinkedIn. Um, you know, send him a request. He's got great content that comes out all the time, and it's it's really opened my eyes to a lot of things about you know what a positive workplace is and and how you can really look for that effective leadership so you can be coached and and continue to be resilient through these hard times. So it is an absolute pleasure to have you, and thank you for spending some time with me tonight, Kyle. Thanks, Arms. Means a lot. I appreciate it more than you know. Kyle Brickman from the University of Windsor, a great guy, just so well-spoken and uh, certainly knows a lot about what you can expect in the workplace. And he's right. I mean, you know, work life is so huge for companies. And I just wish a lot of progressive companies would know um, what that meant to their employees. You know, Kyle's got some great information. Again, he's the assistant professor of management at the uh, Odette School of Business at the U of W, uh, focusing on the employee voice, interpersonal team dynamics, team resilience, conflict. Basically, how do you collaborate and communicate more effectively? Amazing guy. Lots of information. You can find it out on his website, too. And uh, dive into that information, Kyle Brickman. Com. Okay, folks, that's going to do it for this edition, the 30th edition of the Arms Movement Light Project. We hope that you had a great program with us. Uh, don't forget, we are continually look for uh, some great sponsors to help us out with the show. We would love for you to connect with Windsor Essex. You can reach over 17,000 people engaged with on this show monthly. Uh, you can be a part of positive conversations and be a sponsor of the Arms Women Like Project. We are looking for sponsors. You can message me directly on what that would entail for you and your organization. And we'd love to have that conversation to continue to spread good news through the digital airwaves here each week on the project. Speaking of the project, a lot of people are messaging and saying, hey, can I be a guest on the show? I've got a really good guest idea. Love it. You can continue to message me on Facebook if you've got a local guest who could have a great story or could be like Kyle, an expert in their particular field. Um, I'm actually booking into season two of the show. Season two of the Arms Boom and Lag Project will kick off in January of 2022. I am completely booked out for the rest of the year, uh, which is awesome news. And we've got some really amazing people on the horizon coming up for the Arms Boom and Lag Project. So I'm really pumped up to continue to do the show for you uh, here in the Windsor-Essex area. So next week we'll be chatting with uh, Maggie DeRoche and Sylvia Gunther from the Hiatus House. They will be on the program talking a little bit about what's happening at the Hiatus House and some very sobering statistics on domestic violence here in Windsor, Essex locally. Have a great rest of the evening. Enjoy the night. And uh, if I don't see you next couple of days, a happy Thanksgiving to you and your family from my family. Thanks for watching the project. Hey.